Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host, and we are on to another episode. Today, our guest is Etel Light, and she is going to talk about her own story of living with addiction, not herself, but in her relationship, and how addiction doesn't just impact the person who's struggling with addiction, but impacts everyone around that person and how it is often looked at as a family disease, a family problem, and how it can have such a difficult impact on the people around the person who's struggling with addiction. So she shares a lot of her own story and her own healing journey going through that and coming out the other side of that and being able to heal her life and how she now works to help others in that same situation. And she's also going to talk about her book, Unaddicted to You, which is great as well. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode and get a lot out of it. And if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review us on iTunes or share the podcast with a friend. It really does help the podcast grow and get this information out to everyone. And I really appreciate it. And sometimes it's kind of mind boggling to see so many people listening. I just really appreciate it. And I'm glad that the Addicted Mind is out there helping a lot of people. And if you want to continue the conversation online, join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast. All right, everyone, let's go ahead and start this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. Our guest today is Etel Light, and we are going to talk about 
addiction, but also from a, a family perspective, a systems perspective, what is addiction, how it involves everybody. And we're also going to talk about her wonderful book, Unaddicted to You, Loving Yourself Through the Darkness. And we're going to talk about all of that stuff. So, Atel, you want to just start off by introducing yourself and telling yes. us a little bit about you? Sure. Hi, Dwayne. First of all, thank you so much. I've been waiting for this podcast for a long time, so I'm humbled and it's my pleasure to be here. Uh, my name is Etel Light. It's uh, pronounced light, like the light. And I'm a communication and relationship expert, I'm actually doing my research now in addiction. But my background is more, that's how it started. It started with the relationships within the family, more so with babies and toddlers. I found out that there is uh, a lot of miscommunication because babies, what do they do? They cry. And then there was frustration from day one. Baby cry, parents don't understand, and there is frustration. Now, this frustration goes all the way to adulthood, but people really don't see it. What we do, you know, as adults, we take care as adults, and then we go into what happened to me, the trauma, how amazing if we can invest in this communication from day one. So we don't rely, right? We don't rely on crying like adults whining, right? We don't rely on pointing. We don't rely on really like this frustration, but we rely on understanding each other. What do you really want? What do you really want? Right. right? To, to really get to the depth of who we are is like when we know what we want and what we need. So exactly. before we start really jumping into all this, I want to know a little bit more about you and yes. what got you into this work and why you're passionate about this part of it. Right. So in September 2013, I was found on the floor with a heartbeat of 21. Wow. My heart actually collapsed and they rushed me to the hospital. The first thing that they asked me, I have goosebumps every time I tell the story. I actually saw the white light. I almost died. I saw it. I heard all these stories. You know, if you want to hear and read more, it's really in that's the beginning of my book. And when I was rushed to the hospital, the doctor opened my eyes and asked me if I played with drugs. Dwayne, all of me wanted to scream from inside. It's not me. It's him. I was back then married to an amazing man who uh, is an addict. He's an addict to opiates. But back then, I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. I was really frustrated, but I couldn't tell my story because that was in hidden doors. Nobody knew about his addiction. And if I dared to say anything, doomed me. So that time in the hospital, when I was three weeks in a hospital connected to wires because my heart just couldn't, didn't want to, you know, my psyche, you know, I had a bacteria that took over my heart, but really, I just wanted to die. I had two kids, younger kids five and two and a half back then. And I knew that I need to do something, but I still didn't do it. And this is the story that I hear from so many people who are involved with someone who has an addiction or in alcoholism, right? To anything, not only to substance. Because addiction is not a one-person thing. It's something that flows all over the family, friends, bosses. I think that's a part that so often gets unseen are the mm-hmm. the people who might not be directly addicted to the substance or behavior, but all of the family members that get wrapped mm-hmm. into this and how it impacts 
everyone else. Like, like we were talking at the beginning before we started recording, just how this mm-hmm. is bigger than just the addict. It's everybody, right. everybody, friends, family. Yes, everyone, even boss, even, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend, fiance. I hear, I, I help so many people in my work, in groups and individually to really understand what does it mean? Because it's really addiction, you know, with the frustration, it's really spilling all over. So a few things that, you know, people who are living next to the addicts, this is, you know, they're obsessed. They're obsessed about somebody else's behavior. It doesn't even have to do, and I can tell you about my story. That's how I help others. I was just not living my life. People who come to my treatments, they really don't even care, you know, I'm, and I'm talking not only about their appearance, exactly like addicts, right? They're starting to not function in their daily life. And all the focus is what the alcoholic or the addict is doing and not doing. Right. right. Did he drink? He didn't drink. Oh, yeah, we used, he didn't use. It's all becoming this obsession about the other person. Exactly like an addict or alcoholic is looking at the substance, like this obsession. Right. And that right. takes over all of the function of the life. Right. And you're living in constant distress, trying yes. to manage it, trying to save this other person that you love. I mean, you know, like yes. you said, the, your your husband, the father of your children, you mm-hmm. know, you're watching him destroy himself, yeah. but destroy everybody. Exactly. Destroy not only himself, but destroy the family, the core family, right? And the idea of going and trying to change the other person is something that's really embedded in people who are living next to the attic. They think that if they will do one more thing, if they will be prettier, smarter, cook better, take them. Actually, there are stories I did. Take them to an AA meeting. Take them to a re- do something. This is what's going to cure it. But I mean, I'm sure from your work, you know, that it's never about the people around the attic. It's right. only the person himself. So what I do is I teach a lot of positive psychology tools. I believe in positive psychology and also a lot of compassion because addiction is a disease, you know, a lot of compassion because what happened, we come and there was a lot of judgment. Oh, how come he can like stop if he, who he, she will stop. And I call it the monkey talk. So this is where it goes. Mm -hmm. Do you know what's the monkey talk? I don't know what the monkey talk is. Let's go into it because I, yes. mean, I, I have an idea of probably what that <laughs> is, uh, you know, yeah. working in this field, but let's just jump right in. Right. So the monkey talk goes like that. Usually it's, you know, it's the female that comes to me and she's like, you know, he frustrated me and that's what he did. And he did. And he hide it. And he, and I'm like, wow, he, 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 all I hear is a monkey talk. I'm like, okay, so what about you? How do you right. feel? And there is always this pause. It's like, me? Like, literally, it's like, me? What about me? So I really help people to see, what about really you? Where are you in all this story? And it starts with a simple thing of starting with hobbies. Oftentimes, a person who lives with, and often with an active addict or active alcoholic, they even don't know what their hobbies are. Their hobby is the person. Let's look at the person. Well, they get stuck like searching for, you know, where are the drugs in the house? And they get caught into like checking and managing and all of Mm -hmm. that to try and keep this from getting worse. Exactly. Worse or lie to. 
because they're so used to people lying to them. I mean, obviously the addicts lies to themselves. There is a lot of denial and he lies to everyone around them, the mother, their spouse, fiance, children, and so forth. So they're constant walking on eggshells. Did he lie to me? No, no, no. He didn't lie to me. And they want to find proofs. My experience from my personal story, I always tell this story. And again, it's in my book, Unaddicted to You, uh, which is Amazon and Bars and Nobles. I used to put the alarm to 5 a.m. Dwayne, right? With an excuse that I'm going to run. I used to be a runner. But before I used to run, I used to take the key, his spare key for his car, and used to search his car for the drugs. I just wow. wanted to find the proof that I am not crazy, right? Because it's the notion of like, hmm, maybe, I mean, maybe I'm making it up. That's the story that people really come with. Maybe I'm making it up, but the intuition, you know, inside. So I used to check his car every morning, but I did it methodologically. Right. The right side, the left side, the chair, the trunk. And obviously I found it in the trunk in uh, socks because he used to go to the gym in socks, all the pills. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And even though I didn't tell anything, that really broke my heart. And so he was my focus all day long. All day long, I used to to think about what's going to happen next morning. Where am I going to find it? And the people that I treat, that's what they do. They count how many drinks. They look for the drinks. They measure the bottles at home. They open soda water to smell if there is alcohol or not. I mean, I can tell you crazy stories from my patients. It's like. Why do you think that someone who is the partner of an addict or is a parent of an addict this obsessional drive to do this to like what you said, your own health, you almost lost your own life mm-hmm. to yeah. this. Mm-hmm. And not almost, I, yeah, I almost lost my, and, and I know it's really affecting a lot of people in health. So why? It's a great question, Dwayne. And I asked them like, why? This is really, why is it? I mean, you know, it's not good for you. So there is this illusion Right, that people kind of like live with it. The second that I'm going to fix the person, I'm going to feel better. I'm going to fix right. myself. Right. The second that I'm going to make him or her just perfect, I'm going to be perfect. Right. Because what we what happens is the people lose their identity. Their feelings is really dictated by what the other person is feeling. So if he's happy, I'm happy. If he's sad and frustrated, I'm sad and frustrated. So there is like this constant need to fix the person, to make them better, to make all this beautiful so I can live in this legend of my life is perfect. Right. 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 So one tool that I always tell people, it's the three C's. I I was a a commander in the Israeli intelligence. I don't know if you know that. Right. Yeah, I saw that. I wanted to ask you about that. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, when I see people in groups or individually, I say, I'm really sweet. I'm nice. I like pink. I have a dimple, but I can be toughy. So I don't sugarcoat things, you know, unlike other treatment. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. If you want to hear the truth, come to me and I will tell it to you. Right. And many oftentimes, like, you know, in the beginning of a treatment, people will actually try to lie to me because the thing of like people pleasing is so embedded in them. Right. It's like people pleasing, people pleasing. Right. Avoiding that conflict at at all costs, managing this with, Mm -hmm. you know, sacrificing yourself to do it, to make sure everything's okay, whatever that means. 
Right. So I, I like to give tips. Tip number one for our listeners is people pleasing, right? So what happens in people pleasing? Somebody asked me to do something, right? And I wanted to say, actually, no, but I say, right. of course I'll do it, right? Yes, yes, I'll do it. So what happens is there is only a, already a gap of what is my need, listening to myself, and what do I you know, kind of like tell the other person or, or through the world, that's a gap. Why do I do it? People do it because first they don't want, like you said, they don't want any like, you know, frictions, right? The second, they don't want to be judged. They so want to be liked, especially by the alcoholic or the addict. Like the need to be liked, just like they like, like, I wish you would like me. Like people tell me, right. I wish you would like me. Like he likes his booze. Oh my yeah. God. I wish you would be obsessed about me. Like he likes his, you know, like, Vicodins, I hear it. It's all almost the time. like I've heard partners when they're dealing with someone who's struggling with like alcoholism or drugs. It's almost like I feel like he, he or she has a <laughs> has a relationship with with this, not with yes. me. Like they don't yeah. even. It's like this is you're having an affair with the bottle. You're having an affair with the drugs, and you're yeah. leaving me out. Exactly. And again, there is no judgment because, you know, addiction is a disease. What happens is to the addict, to the alcoholic, they have a compulsion. And the compulsion is the shopping, the gambling. I actually opened the worldwide Gamenon, which is for families who, you know, have, it's usually moms who have children who have gaming issues. Right. Uh, It's from all over the world. It's, It's really like the real pandemic, I call it, right? So they have the compulsion to do something, to to use something so they can feel better. And all of a sudden the people next to them have like a competition now. Oh my God, I wish they would even look at me as they look at it, right? Something like that. So again, going back to the people pleasing, they so want the yes and the acceptance from the other person that they say, of course I'll do it. They people please other people. So now they lie. I call it people pleasing is lying. That's right. my little tool to people. People pleasing is lying. Not only I lie to the other person, but deeply I lie to myself. Yes. I lie yeah. to me. When I said yes and I meant to say no, I'm really neglecting who am I, right? Absolutely. And 100%, I can tell you, anytime someone is people pleasing, they create resentment. And this resentment sits down, you know, sits down. And then there is a fighting argument. So all this people pleasing is really just a big volcano. You know, it's really good at the moment. Okay. Yes. Love me, love me, like me. But there, you know, afterwards, it's a lot of, you know, resentment, chaos and yucky. Yeah. It's like it avoids the the conflict right in that moment. Then yeah, you're stuck with that resentment afterwards and it doesn't really solve anything and you don't really set the boundaries for mm-hmm. the person who might be doing this addictive behavior, like saying, This isn't okay. You can't do this to me. If yeah. you're in a relationship I mean, actually, with me, you can't do that. Yeah, but actually there's no conflict. If I say if you ask me to do something, I say, you know, Dwayne, I can't do it right now, maybe next time. There is no conflict. The other way right. around, the person learns that you have your own needs. And you know, it all depends how you say things, right? Mean what you say, say what you mean, and don't say it mean, right? right? I have a client that, you know, we had a session yesterday and she promised, you talked about boundaries. She promised that she's not going to talk to him if he's under the influence. She's not going to talk to him on the phone, right? Is her uh, boyfriend for a long time. And we, you know, we had a meeting and she said, 
So, you know, I really thought he was under the influence. And I said, okay, so did you respect your boundary? Because, you know, the boundary is never to the other person. Again, I'm always going back to us. The boundary is for me. And she said, no, I kept talking to him because I wasn't sure. I didn't want to embarrass him. Right? Here we go. This is how it starts. It's the self-doubt. It's maybe it's not. It's making excuses. But I said, well, you felt he was under the influence. 100% he was under the influence. But the fear is again to lose the person. But he's talking to her on the phone after they haven't spoke for a week. So she put a boundary. She's like, I'm not going to talk. And it's a, a lot of kind of like this thing that, you know, people next to the alcoholic and addict say, I'm not going to talk to you if you're going to do that and that. And it happens and they break it. Right, right. The real disrespect is not to the other person. It's to me because I'm learning to live in this compromising. Who is me? Where am I in all this? Right. So boundaries, again, is not to the other person, it's to me. So we talked about and the suggestion was, so next time, very nicely, mean what you say, say what you mean, but don't say it mean. Right. You don't have yeah. to say, oh, my God, you're drunk, blah, 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 and hang up the phone. You can say, no, I feel that you're under the influence right now, and it doesn't make me feel comfortable. How about we talk about another time? Yes. Now, obviously, the addict to the alcoholic would say, what are you talking about? You're crazy right? Like you're making it up. It's immediately, you know, because right. their disease is in denial. It's not that they're mean people. They're, you know, it's always, all of a sudden it's like an argument between two diseases. The disease is creating this thing. But first time he will kick and say no. Second time he will argue. Third time he will like, she's serious. She really doesn't want to talk to me under the influence. Maybe I'll drink only one little shot. Okay. Fourth time comes, she says the same thing. Fifth time, he's going to speak to her when he's not under the influence, when Yeah. Yeah. You're seeing the consequences of the boundaries and enforcing the boundaries. Mm-hmm. And it really isn't about the other person. It is about your own self-respect, your own self-love and being okay that maybe this person will leave or get angry about the boundary or whatever. It doesn't really matter. This is my boundary. It is for me. Yeah. This is how I show myself self-love. And therefore, when people do that, and it takes practice, I can tell you, it doesn't just, you know, people that will listen to it, from my experience, you have to some to find someone that is accountable, a group, a person that will guide you. I mean, if you write a addiction coach, you'll find a lot of addiction coach. You don't really find the addiction coaches to people around around that. So what happens with people that I work with your self-esteem is getting higher. What is self-esteem is how I respect myself. Wow. I stop people pleasing. Hmm. I stop putting boundaries that I don't mean to. I'm not yelling anymore all these things because I know how to say things not mean, but really like in a nice way. So therefore the self-esteem is higher. They find hobbies which are not what he, 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 or she, she, she is doing, right? Right. And therefore, their life is becoming so much better in so many ways, not only in feelings, but I can tell you, their career, all of a sudden, they find the career they want, which they never thought about. They lose weight. There are so many other things. Well, they start to take care of themselves, and they start to actually pay attention to what Mm -hmm. their needs are instead of the needs of the addiction that's running rampant in this whole system. Exactly. And I can tell you again, I like to, you know, like to share my story again. It's in in this book, which was actually in the door for about four years because I was really embarrassed to tell my story. Right. So 
we used to have a beautiful house, amazing vacations, two, three times. I had a nanny, eight to five. My life was amazing, Dwayne, but I didn't live them. I didn't live my life. Today, I really live my life and, you know, the people and the colleagues and everyone that are around me that can see that. I love my life. I have this spark in my eyes and that's why I love helping helping other people because when you see someone that is next to alcoholic or addict that is using, they don't have this spark. They kind of like turned off. They're in the dark, right? And I found it. It took me a while. I mean, it took me a few years, took me six years, but I found it. I found me again. And today I'm doing my PhD. I have this amazing business. I see families. I see their spark. Therefore, I have my spark. I'm really, really passionate about my life, which I wasn't. I was so worried about somebody else. And if I can give it to someone, it's so easy to get lost in that, you know, and, and being having compassion for that. So the first step is starting to not be a people pleaser, being able to set your boundaries. And then we move to the next one. So what's the next part of this? Mm. So so you're going to give us three, three different things. Yes. 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 So the last thing, and again, all the tools are in my book. So every, when you read the book, it's a novel and self-help and there are lots of tools inside 21 tools with the story of how I was in the Israeli intelligence and how I collapsed on the floor and how I looked for the drugs and, uh, also how I met him, which is really interesting. But the third thing, and I love this, is put down the magnifying glass and pick up the mirror. I'll repeat it. Put down the magnifying glass and pick up the mirror. This is for me one of the best tools you can really get when you are with anyone, you know, with anyone that you have obsession. Because our need is when we take the magnifying glasses to judge, to search, to look, to see what other people did. I mean, people who live with the addict are experts in addiction. Like they're ex, I I ask them and they know everything about the addiction, about the drug, about, you know, not about the disease, but about the drug, the alcohol. But what about picking up the mirror? What about looking at myself? If I read this every morning and I ask them, write it on your mirror. Put down the magnifying glass, pick up the mirror, stop judging others, look at yourself. And do you know, Dwayne, why people judge other people? And usually mm. people, mm-hmm. so why do I judge other people? And I'm, oh, she's like that. He's like that. The moment that I judge other people, the research shows that I can actually judge myself. It gives me a permission to judge myself. Oh, that's interesting. And, mm-hmm, and even when the persona of people who are next to the addict, look like so perfect and well together and knowing all, you know, they're always like, oh, she knows better. You know, they they look like they know it all inside. They're broken. There was a lot of self-loading. You know, there was a lot of, I'm not perfect enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm fat. I'm this. That's another issue that works with that because all I want to do is not look at myself and start judging others so I can judge myself and not help myself. So I'm going to repeat it. Put down the magnifying glass and pick up the mirror. Right. 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 And the, I mean, you, you, you can start to see where you are in this. And I think that can be hard because you've been so focused on the addictive process, mm-hmm. trying to get the addictive person to stop whatever they're doing. And you've lost yourself because like you were saying earlier, 
you're not setting boundaries for yourself. You're sacrificing yourself. You're trying to manage this addiction. You're trying to make sure this person doesn't hurt themselves or cause mm-hmm. more havoc or cause more harm or whatever that you, you, you've lost yourself. Right. Exactly. And you know, the beginning is not easy. So whoever listens to it and knows someone that is really struggling with it, either their friend or spouse, the beginning is not easy. It's just the first thing of knowing that it doesn't feel good anymore. I need help. That's the first step. It doesn't feel good anymore to be in this ride and chase of another person, right? So first is the acknowledgement. And then find someone, find thing to start to help you, right? So just the beginning of it. And no, Amisha, I don't know if anyone talked about the three C's, right? The three C's is, I didn't cause it. I didn't cause this addiction, right? I can control it. I can send him there, do that. And the last thing, I cannot cure it, right? When I understand that I didn't cause it, I can't control it and I cannot cure it. I leave some space for me to breathe. And that's right. the important thing. And right? I, just in those three statements, it's, uh, I feel like a, a freedom that comes from that because you really yeah. move into a state of acceptance. Exactly. This is what it is. Yes. I, I can't control this other person. I can't cure this other person. They have to want that. Right. Right. Yeah. And I can and control I the person. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't cause their cause addiction. It. Yeah. Yes. And you let go. And then I think, like you said, I love the idea of like, put down the magnifying glass, pick up the mirror. You you do those three things and then you start to do this one thing, just this one thing. You can begin to take action that's going to help you. Right. And today I only gave you like three tools, but really it's like, I believe in action. Right. You know, I mean, for me, you know, as I told you, I'm doing my PhD. I'm actually doing it in positive psychology, how to surrender and let go, which is a key. How do you, I mean, people say surrender, let go. I'm like, okay, so, yeah. you know, I was in the army. I was in the Israeli intelligence. When I heard it first time surrender, I looked at people and I said, are you kidding me? So I'll die. They right. taught me when I was in the Israeli intelligence that if I surrender, what happens? I'd, I'm dead. So there's no surrendering. And today I really teach the tool, which is really big for the few minutes that it's like how to surrender. So I'm going to leave it, you know, for the work, but it's really all about looking, you know, within and letting go. So I can create a space to be really, who am I? And not who are the other person, the chase, the chase. And, you know, we've talked a lot about romantic relationship, but can you imagine how difficult it is for a mother to do it? Yeah. Absolutely. Or a father. I mean, you brought this kid to the world and you know that it's your responsibility to help them to do anything, especially yeah. now with parents of teenagers who are addicted to gaming. How can you let go of your child? Right? But again, it's the same process. And I see the miracles, Dwayne, every, every day when parents come to me and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to like not go to the room and start to control and take out. I mean, you have no idea. Take out the internet. They do all these things. And this is what actually happens. It's, you know, going and it's all about the acceptance, no judgment and a lot of compassion. This is when it all starts. A lot of compassion. And I would say that it doesn't mean that you can't have boundaries around that, you know, in letting go, you can still have boundaries because they're about you. So you, you can, 
let go and also at the same time say, I'm sorry, I'm not talking to you if you're under the influence. Exactly. And those things can totally be congruent together. And I think sometimes mm-hmm. people get confused that letting go is about just accepting whatever they're going to do and not having any boundaries. And those two yeah. get confused with each other. Like they get like, how do you do both? <laughs> yes, I completely, completely agree with you because they think that they have to let go of the problem of the issues, letting go of themselves but it doesn't work like that. So really with the work, we learn what is it to set boundaries. Usually people set boundaries when they're yelling, when they're really, really upset and angry. It is whatever. And then the boundary is broken and they let go. Okay, whatever. It's work. First of all, to see what are the boundaries? What exactly am I letting go? And to whom? Like, what what do I do with it? Right? Right. So it's the pause. I call it, and I have still a note next on my nightstand that says, God is in the pause. Because when I pause just a little bit instead of reacting, instead of like, rah. and by the way, for my listeners, God can be anything. It could be universe, higher power, ocean, sky, whatever you find. But there is a notion that is like, yeah, I yeah. cannot control everything. Let right. go. Let go and find me. So for me, God is in the pause is really an important step in finding myself. Because it's in the quiet times that I find myself, not in the craziness that goings in my head i call it the committee in my head which is chattering and chattering and telling me that i don't i don't deserve it he doesn't deserve it living my daily life like that right right? he's drinking and i am suffering well it's a choice right yeah and by the way it's very important for me to say that letting go and surrendering doesn't mean to leave separate or divorced from the addict the alcoholic it's super important for me to say this is my story but I help many people to actually stay together and stay together in beautiful lives. So it's really important. My work is not about getting divorced or leave the person. It's how yeah, to leave I'm, I'm, I'm glad you say that because what I've also seen in my work too is when the family member who may be trying to manage this addiction and trying to fix it and save everything, and once they start to set their own boundaries – they actually help the whole system begin to heal too. And sometimes what I've seen as the person moves through this state that you're describing, you know, the three C's and, and, you know, picking up the mirror and and doing all that, it forces in a way, I don't want to say forces, but it doesn't really force them, but they start to have to look at their own encourage. Maybe, yeah, maybe encourage is a better word. It Mm -hmm. it encourages them to start to look at it when boundaries compassionate boundaries are set and the whole system becomes disrupted and then that creates healing too can exactly and you know i love imagery that's why i'm a writer i wrote actually three books i love imagery so i call it you know when they're like no you know when the addict or the alcoholic goes into this like fighting mode so you know i call it like you know the gorilla in the cage would you go and dance in the gorilla in the cage Most people do. They go, they fight, they argue, you stop it, you don't stop it. But what happens if the gorilla, when the gorilla is not the person, is the the disease, is in the cage by itself. They don't have anyone to argue with. And all of a sudden it's like, I don't, they go through their process because they don't have anyone to blame and to yell at because that's part of the disease. The disease wants to create so much drama, but there is no one to create drama with all of a sudden. Wow. And another thing, some t- many, many times, the person next to the addict will actually 
enable them and will hold the addiction. Literally, sometimes they will kill the addict. Because what happens if instead of doing all that, you stop them from having a rock bottom? Because a rock bottom can bring only recovery. But if you interfere and interfere and interfere and interfere, maybe that's what you stop from creating. Right. So enabling, right? But we can talk so much more, you know, as you can see. Right. I, I have one more question because I think sure. a lot of times when people are like listening to these podcasts about addiction, it's like, do this, right? And mm -hmm. yes, we do that. But I think it's important to talk about the process of getting there, that this takes time, that these are mm -hmm. skills that you learn. I, I would imagine, and I make up, I don't know all of your story, but Mm -hmm. That, you know, you're on, the, you're in the hospital, all of that. You just didn't switch and all of a sudden become, oh. you know, healed. Yes. I left the hospital with a white gown and I was just like, yay world. No, I actually, it took me, as I said, it took me three years because I was still in the denial and the shame and the embarrassment. Right. I was still really, really afraid, afraid to, to speak up, but I was curious. You know, and that's something that I use a lot. I was really curious. I was curious about how it would be. So that's how I started. And I started getting help, but really like, you know, and it wasn't, I mean, I know that many therapists listen to us right now, but when I went with my ex to therapist, it was only about whining. That's what I told you. I took my work with babies who cry and I see how adults are whining. I whined. I whined and I cried and I was the victim and he did it to me. And, you know, that was, it was very safe for me. But when I started to see that that's not going to help me, I got really getting curious. What if? And I found the help. And this amazing person helped me, I mean, tremendously. And I healed step by step. And I have to tell you, she had so much patience for me. And she loved me like I didn't love myself. I love all of my, I tell them, I love you. Right? right. So you right. see, my work is not like a therapist because I do things that therapists don't do. I give suggestions. I say exactly what I think. I give assignments home. I'm sweet and I'm tough. And I say, I love you when I mean it. And that's one thing, you know, I help the person who worked with me. She helped me to love myself when I didn't see it. And that's what my help to show people how they can be loved, you know, so yeah. they can for help themselves. And it takes tippy tippy steps. So the first thing is acknowledgement that I just, it doesn't good to feel like that. Then to get curious, start reading about it, see where can you get the help? How would it be? Play with the mind. How would it be if the obsession is not going to be there? And it's really hard. It's really hard to say, okay, don't think about him. How do you right. do it? Start getting the resources. Get my book. Yeah. Go to my website, etelai.com. I actually, you know, just for this, I will give three people a free call that helped me because really my goal in life, Dwayne, is really helping people. All right. There's so many who need this help. So this is my goal and my passion. I will give three callers from this call who would use the code, the addict mind. Three first callers, I'm going to give them uh, 15 minutes of free phone call to hear. Where are they? What can they do? Maybe a little tip that I didn't give here. We'll put that code in the, in the show notes so that we have it and, and we know what it is and, and we'll, Perfect. we'll, we'll include it all in the show notes and stuff mm -hmm. so that people can get that. And I think like what you're saying is pointing out that this is a journey, that this is a process. 
Mm-hmm. This is a lifetime process because the minute that you're, even if people leave the addict or the alcoholic, they're going to find another person. Unless they're going to really heal themselves inside and learn the tools how to lead, it's like a magnet because that's what I know. You know, usually also people who have anyone that is addict or alcoholic had someone in their life before they were born to that. I can tell you right. in my home, when I was born, there was no one with addiction. I mean, no one with uh, obvious addiction. There was no drugs or alcohol, but there was a different kind of addiction in my home. But I didn't right. know that. I really didn't know it was an addiction. I thought it's just disrespect of whatever. But I learned that that's why I wanted to fix someone in my life. So I can feel good and finally relaxed. Oh, I fixed what happened. Right. And that's where that curiosity comes in, that we have to slow down, pause, and really manifest that mindset of curiosity to to look a little further. And uh, like I keep going back, I love your analogy, you know, put down the magnifying glass and pick up the mirror. And I I love that. Thank you. Yes, I teach a class. uh, I teach a class psychology of addiction in university. And this is how I open every, every class, you know, we have this discussion. They know nothing about it. And then in the end of the course, they have to reflect back. And it's so beautiful to see what happened in the first class and the end. Like, what does it mean to put down the magnifying glass and pick up the mirror? Yeah. And there's there's a whole skill set in in picking up the mirror that and many techniques and, and things that you can do to to mm-hmm. facilitate that process. But but it starts there. So we're coming up on our time. I love to ask like one one more question. I usually ask of every guest. It's like, if someone out there is still in the darkness, they're still struggling, they're still lost, they're still feeling overwhelmed, and you could tell them one thing, what would you want them to know? Okay, so the subtitle of my book is Loving Yourself Through the Darkness. If you're in the darkness, you are in the best place you can be. And I know people will be like, what? Only, only from the darkness you can start seeing the light. Because when it's comfortable, we are not going to create any change. So when you're in pain right now, when you're in a dark place, switch it in your brain and see, wow, I'm actually going to be curious about where is the light. And my analogy is that. Light a candle. Let's light a candle together, Dwayne, and go to the beach in California at noon in a beautiful summer day. Would you see this candle? Would you see the light? No, let's take the same candle and go to a very, very dark room with no windows, pitch dark. Would you see this lit candle? Absolutely. Magnified candle, magnified light. So if you're in the dark, you're in the right place of your life because you're going to find this light that will shine not only on you, but to other people. I believe that our darkness is going to teach us light so we can help other people. Our job here on this earth is not only to look at me, 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 but me so I can help other people. So come on, darkness people. Be curious about your light. Find it. It will take some time. You're not just going to go and find it. And remember that one day, I promise you that one day you will help somebody else. Remember my words. If you'll find the light, you'll have the passion to to help somebody else that is in the darkness. Oh, thank you so much. Once again, where can people find you? How, how can they get a hold of you? Can you say yes. uh, your, your uh, links and everything? 
Yes, so it's my name, etellight.com. My YouTube is actually Sign Shine. YouTube, Sign Shine. You can look at it. I mean, I'm changing now the name. My Instagram and my Facebook is huge. On my Facebook, Etellight, every Friday, I put a fun picture of myself from my dancing with my friends because I believe in this is my life. I'm not pretending anything. With a fun story for the weekend. I call it the weekend story right? So go look for that. And on my website, there is a a link to, again, get my phone call. And of course, how did I forget? My three books, I have three books on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. One of them is a how-to. The other one is a children's series book, which actually made not only, it's five books, Mommy and Daddy, Mommy and Mama, Daddy and Papa, Single Mom, Single dad because i you know you can't write a book only for mommy and dad and of course my last book is an addicted to you which is in almost every bookstore i have an app and i have three itunes and spotify albums music albums because one of the things that i believe in is music so if you come to work with me we're going to sing and dance so that's about it Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on to The Addicted Mind. I just appreciate your time and your wisdom and sharing it with everyone. Thank you. I really appreciate this time. Thank you so much, Wayne. All right. Thank you for listening to The Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com so you can check them out there. And I know I keep asking this, but if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, you're getting a lot out of it, please think about writing a review in iTunes. That really does help get this podcast a lot of exposure, helps people find the podcast and uh, helps it show up in search. So wherever you get your podcast, please rate and review us. And uh, I'd really appreciate it. If you want to continue the conversation online, join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast and click join. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and I will talk to you on the next episode. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.